Welcome into episode 119 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast. Alongside Jamie Eisner, I'm Luke Lipinski. Craig Morgan is on assignment. Where are you, Craig? Do I have to say? Oh, just You can lie. Just say something. All right. I, I don't want to lie. I don't want to lie to the listeners. I'm on kid duty. Oh, okay. All right. I'm so, up there with you, so you guys aren't drinking coffee today. Craig is not in the studio, which means he's the same distance from the microphone he always is, even when he is in the studio. And also, he's right. We don't have coffee, which means expect a subpar performance from Jamie. All right, Jamie, how are you doing over there? I'm well, doing well. Yankees have a one nothing lead right now. Oh, well, now you've dated the podcast. I have. I guess any time the Yankees have a one nothing lead, you can listen to this podcast because you don't know exactly which game Jamie's talking about. Yeah, there'll be a lot more games where that's happening. Okay, well. I wonder if that will happen for the Cubs. Craig, do you have wow. a response to that? <laughs> Just hostility. Hostility from both of you already. No, okay. it's no, it's the no coffee anger. Yeah, it's just no. Give us with, get us on the show with no caffeine, and this is this is what you're gonna get. What, what does this red button on the phone do? I don't know. Why don't you try it and see what happens? I think it makes the ratings go up, or it launches nukes. One oh, of the, okay. just one of the two. Oh, one okay. Two. Be careful. <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's start with the Tampa Bay Lightning, a team that all three of us picked to go to the Stanley Cup. Correct? Yes. And uh, so far, I think it was so last good. Year. I'm not here to talk about the past. I'm here to talk about the recent past. And we all picked Tampa Bay to go to the Stanley Cup. How do people know? How do people know which Yankee game we're talking about? How do people really know when we're recording this? This could have happened a long time ago. How does anybody know anything? How does any of this matter? How philosophical do you want to get here? Tampa Bay. I'm paralyzed with questions now. (laughs) (laughs) Tampa Bay is 5-1-1. Nikita Kucherov scores every single time they play a game. This is about what we expected, right? Okay. Jamie. That's great. Uh, uh, yeah, we have, to, we have to decide. This is going to be uh, – we're leaving this in, by the way. We have to decide what order we're going to talk since we're not in that room. So right. we're going to go Luke, me, Craig. Craig, Craig. what we're going to do now? When I look at Jamie, you talk, okay? You'll have no way of knowing this because you're on the other side of the city, but uh, let's just go with that, okay? But, but it is kind of what we expected from Tampa Bay, just to get right back on track here. Uh, we, we, we've talked a lot about how much we've liked Nikita Kucherov's game the last few years. He has clearly been Tampa Bay's best player. You would throw Victor Hedman in that mix as well. But uh, what do you have, seven goals or eight goals, eight goals 12 games. points in seven games. I mean, that's remarkable. He might be – I don't want to start the who's the best player in the NHL debate, but he's – Right there, and he never gets brought up at all. But, I mean, it's not like he's off to some hot start after scoring 17 goals last year. He scored 40 last year. This is what he does, and, and he's probably the best player on Tampa Bay, like Jamie just said, and he's right there with Ovechkin for the NHL scoring lead. But you have to remember, Ovechkin scored seven goals in the first two games, so that's a little skewed. Craig? Yeah, and I, uh, you know what? I don't think there's any question he's the best player on Tampa Bay. I, I think if you talk to people, they'd, they'd say that. You're right, Victor Hedman's in the mix there. But I, I just, I wonder if this guy can be the next, if he can be a hundred point guy, if he has that sort of ceiling. I, I don't think it's outrageous to think about that either. With, with the talent he has around him, with the depth the Lightning have, he's, he's not going to be able to draw as much attention. Obviously, teams are going to be focused on trying to take him out of the game. But there, there are a lot of other worries when you play Tampa Bay, particularly how they're playing right now. I just think this guy, as you mentioned earlier, as it sounds like he, people don't know who he is. He's not underappreciated in NHL circles, but I don't think he has the star power, that the name recognition, and that's probably because of the market that he plays in, you know, much like the one we're in. 
they don't get as much attention, but he is one of a handful of elite players in the NHL, in my opinion. Yeah, his name doesn't carry the same weight, it feels like, for the casual fan that it should, given his, again, 30 goals and 40 goals last year, 85 points. He could be the next 100-point player. He's going to have to stay healthy consistently. He hasn't missed a lot of time, but when you're trying to reach that 100-point plateau playing 74 games, missing missing eight is going to hurt you in that pursuit. So if he can play a full 82-game season, I wouldn't be shocked to see him top 90, 95 points this year. So he's on pace for 132 <laughs> right now. I know it's under, early. Under. I went out of order, didn't I? Yeah, you did. See, we're doing this made again. It pretty clear, but yeah, go ahead. We just need cues. I, I don't know how to work with you anymore. Okay. I just I don't know what to do. Ideally, all three of us would be here, but, you know, whatever. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, oh, there it is. Well, at least she'll be back like next week. Oh, wait, no. Here's the thing. He's shooting 29.6% right now. That's not going to last. So it's going to taper off there. But he's a guy who's going to produce points. He, he is certainly a point-a-game guy. 100 points, that's, that's, a cool, that's a cool number, though. We don't get enough of those in the NHL. I said this earlier in the season. I'd like to see more scoring, more production across the league. I think it's more exciting when you watch games like that. I have at least one person in my corner in Ray Ferraro, but this guy, I, I, I really can see him taking it to the next level. And, and if they win the cup, if the Tampa Bay can win the cup, maybe he finally will get that sort of recognition we're talking about. Yeah, because I, I, I kind of disagree with at least Jamie. I, I don't know where Craig comes out exactly on this, but I, I don't even think he's appreciated enough in hockey circles. Like People know who he is if you follow the NHL, but you really don't hear any discussion of, of him as one of the top three or four best players in the league. And yet, he's, he's pretty consistently one of the top players in the league. And this season, again, not to take anything away from what Ovechkin's done, but it's, it's entirely different when you get seven goals in the first two games or you score every single game. And Kucherov has scored every single game. He's, he's on a seven-game goal streak to start the year, and the only reason he has an eighth goal is because he doubled up against Detroit. So, I mean, that's sort of consistency that obviously can't keep up all year. But this, to me, looks like a 50-goal scorer. He wasn't that far off last year. No, and, and he deserves more love, absolutely, from, from all parties. And he got started to be in, those, in the conversation for the Hart Trophy a little bit late in last season. He was a name we brought up as a player that wasn't going to win it most likely, but it was going to be in that conversation. Other outlets had that as well. So he's starting to, to be known a little bit more, and we kind of see this. Sometimes it's a steady progression into relevancy, for lack of a better phrase. Can we talk about the team that beat them last night? We can. What's going on there? That's that's a fun hockey team, and I'm sure some of it is the simple fact that they haven't been fun for feels like five years. But the New Jersey Devils are quietly entertaining, and they're definitely not uh, on many radars at the moment. But yeah, as, as good as Tampa Bay is playing, New Jersey beat them last night. They've uh, you know Taylor Hall certainly helps, but some of these guys that they've been able to uh, to pick up Marcus Johansson was a was a great pickup for basically nothing because Washington was cap strapped. Uh, Will Butcher was a great pickup drafting Nico Heischer. I mean, he's been really solid so far this season too. He already has four assists in his first six NHL games. And Jamie's been banging the Corey Schneider drum for years. He's not the only one, but now we're finally seeing what Corey Schneider can do with a team in front of him. Yeah, and I think that he, we've always known he's had the ability to carry a team. He had some very strong years in Vancouver, in th- years where he was getting the majority of the work, not many of them, but the majority of the work over Roberto Luongo. But if you would have told me the, the two leading point scorers on the Devils six games into the season were going to be Jesper Bratt and Will Butcher, I, I wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> and, and they look every good as their, their statistical line says they've been. Yeah. Yeah, I know, and Will Butcher, we talked about this uh, a while back on the podcast, how – 
there's so much hype around college free agents, right? And there's, there's always so much Jimmy VC being one of the classic examples. Oh, this guy's going to come in. He's going to be a top six player. He's going to be a top line player. He's going to produce. And, and more often than not, it, it, it doesn't seem like they, they live up to the hype, but there, there was considerable interest in, in this guy in the off season. And he's got nine assists right now. He hasn't scored yet. I don't think that really matters. You watch the way they play. And when they, when you watch the way the puck funnels through him, He's generating offense for that team at, at an amazing rate right now. I have no idea if it will keep up, but this is a guy that really wasn't in the conversation for the Calder Trophy all that much, and he's certainly there now. He's on pace for 123 assists. I'm just going to keep doing that. He's on yeah, pace under. for math. That'll help. Can you take the under? Okay, well, nine assists in six games. Uh, but the bigger deal, and this this really stood out to me last year when we did the previews and we were going through each of the teams and we got to New Jersey and we realized – they didn't even have a full roster of NHL defensemen, and they really weren't able to improve that much from last year to this year until they added Will Butcher, and it, it doesn't matter how many assists. I mean, look, it does. I mean, if he can get 50 or 60 points this season, that would be fantastic, but it's the simple fact that they now have somebody on their blue line that they can actually depend on, and you start to see this team coming together. Do we think that they can keep this going to the point where they can stay in playoff contention through March and April? I don't. I still have massive concerns about that blue line, even with Butcher there. I do like their goaltending. I do like some of their young guys. But I still look at that roster and think, I don't. who's going to carry that team in the forward group? Who's going to carry that team on defense long enough when, when Butcher's not on the ice if he doesn't begin to struggle at some point? I just, I just can't think you can rely on, on, a, on a goalie alone. I still think they're a couple years away. And relying on rookies too, right? You, you're relying on rookies to produce throughout a season. I, it, that, that can't ha- that can't last. I mean, it can obviously, but I don't think it will. And at some point, these guys are probably going to slow down a little bit. Uh, on the flip side, though, you know what? At some point, at least we assume Travis Zajac's going to come back into this lineup too, and that'll that'll certainly help their center position. Um, but I still like like Jamie. I do have concerns with the blue line. I still have concerns. With the center position, uh, Nico Hichier eventually could be a guy that will really help them there, but probably not ready to be that guy yet. So I still look at this as a, a team that's developing, but boy, there are some really positive signs from them right now. All right, let's uh, slide over to the Western Conference here and let's look at Vegas. You know, everybody thought it was kind of <laughs> cute that they went out and beat Dallas in their first game and then they got the win over the Coyotes in overtime and then they had that home game, that I, the first ever home game we talked about a lot last week. They go out and they look great against the Coyotes. So they, they become, what, the first ever expansion team to start 3-0. and But they haven't really let up. They lost to Detroit, but then they beat Boston and Buffalo. So they're now 5-1. and This is really uncharted territory for a brand new team. And I know this was a talking point last year that the expansion draft was set up in such a way where they could put together a pretty competitive team. And yet, once the expansion draft was actually completed, I don't know that anybody really thought they were going to be that good this year. I know it's still early, but we're halfway through October and they've lost once. This is, uh, they're going to get some tests coming up with St. Louis and Chicago, but this has to be going better than even Bill Foley expected. Oh, it absolutely is going better than I think anybody expected. And, and they can maybe internally say, oh, yeah, we, we knew we were going to be a competitive team. I highly doubt if, you know, you gave them truth to see them, they would have said, yeah, we're going to win five of our first six and a couple of them in dominating fashion. James Neal's the real deal. He can score a ton of goals. We knew that already. He's, his value at the trade deadline is going to really help Vegas. Flurry's been good. We knew that already. But at some point here, they're going to come back down to earth. And I, I don't really have any 
I don't have the thought that this is going to be a team that's going to stick around for a while. I mean, their second best forward right now is what, David Perron? Yeah, 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 pretty much. So at some point, they're going to come back down to earth. But it's been a great story, and it's excellent for them. Getting off to a good start might actually be more important for them this season than a good finish as you're trying to build a fan base, as you're new in the market. Generating early excitement is going to be helpful. Yeah, and as we mentioned last week, with all that, you know, all the emotions in that building from launching and and the shootings up there, I, I really feel like a bond has developed between that team and the city. It's you know, it's it, it's it's always good to be the first one, right? The first team in a market because you're you're special. You 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 mean something. You've sort of broken the ice. Uh, no pun intended, but you, you've broken the ice on bringing pro sports to to a city, and then with what that city has endured recently to have Vegas get off to this start. It's just, it's a really good way to capture a fan base quickly before any other teams move into the market and and try and steal some of your market share. Can we isolate that clip of Craig saying you're special, you mean something. And then that way we can just play it anytime uh, Jamie or I are are feeling down when the show begins. Just, uh, just, just Craig. You're you're really creeping me up. No, no. Okay. (laughs) All right. What about Malcolm Subban, who, for whatever reason, the Bruins drafted fairly early in a draft and then decided they don't want, and he has stepped in for an injured Marc-Andre Fleury. He's 2-0. Yeah, he's been strong in his two games. We'll see how ready he is for the NHL. And, you know, he is the goalie of the future, whatever, how long that future ends up being with Marc-Andre Fleury there. But you, you want to see him have a little bit of success early on, and he has. Again, it's two games. I try not to – it's such a small sample size. It's tough to, to have accurate analysis of where he is in yeah. his development. but. It's better that he's having some success early on than not, obviously. Uh, I, I mean, thank you. I, I know that's not great analysis, but it's it's two games. No, it's two games. He allowed five goals in two games. Like I don't I don't know how to how do I go evaluate ahead? Make that. big pronouncements. Make big pronouncements. That he's he's going to unseat Mark Andre Fleury by February. Maybe Valentine's has. Day. No, no. I just I think it, I find it interesting that the Bruins spent a first round pick on him. And now they just don't have him, and they don't get anything for him. <laughs> like they just let him go. I, that's that. That to me was a savvy move by Vegas to pick him up because you know you've got your goalie for a while now in Flurry anyway. So why not go for a high upside guy that's not 19 years old and, and put him behind him? And it's again very early, but yeah, you definitely have to be so, thinking about the future. Yeah, absolutely. What about the uh, L.A. Kings, hockey's only remaining undefeated team in terms of regulation losses? They have an overtime loss, but. Uh, this was, like, if you look at the Pacific Division right now, Vegas and, and L.A. at the very top, Edmonton has one win. It's it's yeah pretty flip-flopped. And, again, early, but these games do count at some point. <laughs> like, uh, well, uh, they, they all count. Yeah, so Edmonton's going to need to probably start winning. And L.A., I would assume, at some point here, is going to start losing. I, I would assume. And, and here's where the I kind of... Uh, Craig went out of order again. It's all you. No, it's you, you Craig. This is your show. Order. Order. We have to have order here. Sorry. Didn't you suggest it? Uh, you know, the thing that strikes me about L.A. is that all the guys that they need to be doing well, the guys from their past, all the names that we know from the past, are off to good starts this year. And I don't know if that's motivation or rest or whatever, but Kopitar has eight points in five games. Dustin Brown has four goals and seven points in five games. Drew Doughty's playing well. Tyler Toffoli's playing well. Jonathan Quick has a 1.74 goals against average and a 943 save percentage. This is, this is obviously the recipe for the Kings' success. Absolutely. And again, in the case of Quick and Kopitar and Dowdy and Toffoli, who has four points in five games, I believe this is going to continue in some form or fashion. I do not believe, not Dustin, Dustin, Brown, I do huh? not believe Dustin Brown will, is on pace. Well, how many points is he on pace for? 
You make me do the math on 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 the fly it's like math. that. See, fourth, I don't uh, like math. Yeah, I, I, I'll get back to you on that. In just I'll a take second. the under uh, the under on like the ninety points he's on pace for. But every but, but <laughs> he's it's on pace a, for more than that. But it's a good again. Kopitar and in, in particular is a great sign to bounce back because a lot of people started to I shouldn't say give up, but they were very down on him entering the year. And sometimes we get lost in this. There's one bad year or a bad year and a half. We all of a sudden believe the player can never be what they used to be. Yeah, Dustin Brown's on pace for 117 points this season. I don't, I don't think he's going to get there. Under. But uh, now the question is, has he caught the eyes of the Colorado Avalanche, who now see him as a valuable trade piece they must acquire? Brown for Duchesne. <laughs> who says no? Besides everybody. <laughs> everybody except the Avalanche. Like, everybody that's just watching them make the trade. Uh, those other guys. What about though, Edmonton? Well, <laughs> Ed- Edmonton could use a Dustin Brown, couldn't they? Dustin Brown for... What, Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Like Darnell Nurse or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, if we'll L- get to them in a minute. If L.A. is really going to be hanging around, though, and, and I'm, I'm with Jamie, like Dustin Brown, this is not sustainable, but Anze Kopitar is not done by any means. He just had a bad year. That happens. And Jonathan Quick is still a great goalie. If some of these other guys like Tyler Toffoli or Tanner Pearson, like Tanner Pearson hasn't done anything yet. If some of these guys can step up, and this team is a legitimate playoff contender, that makes the, the race for a playoff spot in the West that much tighter. Because as much as we were all able to name teams at the start of the year that we thought missed the playoffs last year but could make it this year, it's really tough to find teams that are going to drop out. None of us had the Kings making the playoffs, so that would make it even much more complicated. Yeah, especially if yeah, with Dallas thrown in, too. Uh, all of us expecting the Stars to make it as well. Then, then you start wondering, which, which two teams are you removing from the mix? Yeah, absolutely. Especially, again, you're looking at a team like Edmonton, who we talked about in this Edmonton versus Toronto conversation we've had multiple times in the offseason about the flaws the Oilers have. Just take a look at the way they've played this year, and shockingly, Connor McDavid is very good. Nobody else on that team is except Dreisaitl, and he's hurt. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's, I, I don't have anything against Edmonton. I, I, I do wonder, though, like they, they don't have much flexibility to add pieces, so... A guy like Jesse Pugliarvi, they need him to develop rapidly into a player that plays NHL games and contributes because they just – there's. we talked about this at length in the offseason. You, you have to pay Connor McDavid whatever he wants. He's a once-in-a-lifetime generational talent. You have to do it. And that's fine. Uh, we all thought maybe they did that a little out of order because Leon Dreisaitl, they had to pay this summer. Connor McDavid, they didn't have to pay till next summer. And it's not to say they should wait till next summer. It's just get the Dreisaitl done deal, deal done first so that – McDavid's deal doesn't influence it. And as it turns out, now they have, what, $21 million tied up in two players. And that's fine if you are the Blackhawks. It hasn't even been fine for the Blackhawks, but at least there you have a history of finding young players that are making the league minimum that can step in and contribute. Edmonton doesn't have that history. And I do wonder if they're going to struggle in terms of actually winning cups with Connor McDavid here for a while through no fault of his own. I think so. Until you have those pieces around him, and again, we—I don't know how many times we can bang this drum, but when you trade away guys like Taylor Hall and Jordan Everly, and you don't get fair return for those players, you're you're just downgrading your team with with each of these moves. Now, you may think that there's some some problems with the players that you had, or or you need to address a certain area, but. Uh, to me, trades are always, they have to be evaluated by who gets the better player, yeah. not fits so much. It, and those are two, those are two high end offensive talents that you gave away 
find you have any defenseman that you've added, and I don't know what the heck you've added. He can't skate. He doesn't seem like a fit. Everyone could have seen that from the start. When, when you already have the cast situation that you just talked about, too, I don't know what they're going to be able to do down the road. and That could be a really big storyline for this team in a couple seasons when everybody sort of comes to the realization that, wow, there's just you can't just ride a generational talent in a good sidekick to Stanley Cups. I just think about the heat that Sidney Crosby took in Pittsburgh for a number of years, and they had won a cup. And he had more, much more talent around him than Connor McDavid has right now. And look, guys can develop. They could add somebody, but they really can't. They're not going to be in a position to draft really high-end prospects unless they make some sort of trade for a high. I mean, they're in a tough spot in the sense that this is kind of what you have. You just need to develop what you have now and maybe get some of these contracts off the, the books. But that's easier said than done. It, like to start this season, McDavid had that hat trick on on opening night against Calgary, and they ended up winning that game three nothing, and everything looked great for the Oilers, right? You you beat your Alberta rivals, you do it the perfect way. McDavid has every goal in the game, and all of a sudden you're one and zero. Since then, they've lost to Vancouver, Winnipeg, Ottawa, Carolina. McDavid doesn't have a goal in any of those games, and none of those teams are really that good. Like, they're okay, but it's not like they've played the weird thing to Chicago and Tampa over and over again. The weird thing to me is they're still. They're still a good possession team if you look at those numbers. If, if you know, at least when you look at the shots for and shots against, that obviously correlates to possession. They're they're, they're out shooting teams, so you, you're thinking when you look at that. And again, that's a small sample size, so maybe that'll start to skew the other direction. But when you look at that, you think, wow, they should maybe they're just having some bad puck luck. They're not having success in some areas, but it, it, it's got to be troubling up there right now because I'm sure they thought coming off of what they did in the last postseason that they could take a step forward this year and getting off to a bad start in what looks like it's going to be an even more competitive Western Conference is not a good sign for Edmonton. Yeah, and it, they're, they're in the real weird spot where they have the envy of the league. They have two young, offensively gifted centermen, but there are just so other few pieces around them that would be top-line caliber players. They don't have the decor that they need. Their goaltending has been spotty this year at best. And you wonder if Talbot is going to be a long-term answer there. I do wonder what the step forward would look like for Edmonton because Connor McDavid's already been so good. Leon Dreisaitl's already been so good. Their window to improve is going to be small. They can only, Again, we don't think Connor McDavid's going to be a 200-point player. He can only... <laughs> He can only improve so much do. himself. The question is, Is are there enough players around him that can improve? And are they the types of players that McDavid and Dreisaitl themselves can improve around them? But ultimately, this is a very flawed team that has elite talent at the top, which is why they're a playoff team, but maybe not a cup contender yet. Well, and the other thing that's tough, too, is, is you can never predict injuries. Leon Dreisaitl's hurt right now. Uh, and injuries are going to hurt any team when they come to a player that's that valuable. But... With the Oilers, you know, if you lose Dreisaitl, you lose like 40% of your offense, it feels like. And right now, it feels like he's 40% and McDavid's the other 60%. And I just, like, I st- look, I still think they're a playoff team this year. I still think that they, you, know, you get into a seven-game series with them. And if McDavid performs better in the playoffs this year than he did last year, it's not really a team you want to face. But you're right. You don't want to start the year. You don't want to dig yourself a hole when you are not a team that has proven in the past you can just flip the switch. 
Now, that might be the most salient point I've ever made to the point where it did just shut both of you off, which just happened here. I'm just so afraid to talk. I'm afraid Craig's going to talk over me. I, I'm not even sure Craig's still there. No. His phone was doing weird stuff. Craig, are you still there? That's not a good sign. Yeah. Oh, there okay. you are. There. I'm, okay. I'm getting through the darks that I'm folding right now. So. Oh, that's great. We don't want to interrupt your laundry. Can you just say something that rhymes with Edmonton so we can Thank move you. on? There's nothing that rhymes with Edmonton. No, that was, that was the point. All right. Uh, other teams in the uh, yes, Western yes, Conference. I need, I need that. Anybody, uh, anybody stand out to you now that we're in the West? I guess we should probably talk about the fact that Chicago's lost one game. Two, but one in regulation. One in regulation. And Craig kind of alluded I, to this. Your, their uh, possession numbers aren't great. So do you see this swinging no. the other way? I, yes. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for it to, to collapse a little bit. And they, they have to face St. Louis. They're, they're going to start getting into some tough matchups. And, and the, uh, the buzz of the start of the season and their desire to prove that they're still a contender is going to wear off a little bit. And they're, they're going to realize that their blue line is still a mess. And they have some issues there, one of which, by the way, is, is Connor Murphy, who can't find his way back into the lineup after the, the trade with the Coyotes this summer. I don't know why anyone in Chicago would have believed that Connor Murphy was a replacement for Nicholas Chalmerson. He was never going to be, but I don't think anyone expected him to be such a disappointment that he's a healthy scratch. That's a problem for, for a team that just doesn't have any depth on its blue line to begin with. They're playing Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook together. So when you look beyond that, I know they're getting some some decent minutes from Jan Ruta, uh, unexpected, and and some other players. But I don't know that blue line. I th- still think is very suspect. And again, when you when you look at this possession numbers, they're not very good for Chicago. So you expect a regression at some point. Yeah, and this is this is a case where you look at the name value of the team, and this is where you know Luke always brings this up. You have the high end talent that they have the playoff pedigree, it's tough to look at the team and not think they're going to keep this up for some period of time. But all the underlying numbers for the last couple of years have told us that this is a team that's declining possession-wise. All the peripherals are declining. This is not the dominant Blackhawks team of three, four, five years ago. You, Saad has been very good. Kane is always good. Hartman's been a good surprise early in the season. Taves looks rejuvenated. But I have, like Craig, I, I don't know how you win with that blue line. I just don't know how you win long-term or win multiple playoff series with that blue line. Well, you know what else is happening here? Corey Crawford is off to another fantastic start like he was last year. So they're winning games, you know, with, with great goaltending a lot of the time, too. His, his save percentage, I think it's like 960 right now. It's something ridiculous. And that obviously isn't going to last. And, and how long can you ride him? And by the way, you lost Gar- Scott Darling in the offseason. So you're, uh, you still have an unknown with your backup goalie situation as well. 960, exactly. And they've shown in the past that they, even with a weakened defense, they can win consistently in the regular season. But I think the point there is is certainly the Blackhawks are still being measured on playoff success after what they've done. It's really tough to have a blue line that's that thin over the course of a seven-game series, and really with Chicago over the course of potentially multiple seven-game series. It just wears down. Duncan Keith has to leave the ice at some point. He has to leave the ice. The last time they won the Cup, he really didn't. But he, he certainly had more help yeah. than he has right now. Uh, any love for Colorado? Not in the sense that we think they're going to make the playoffs, but they had 48 points in the standings all of last year. They already have eight this year. And Matt Duchesne, by the way, leading the team in points and apparently is still making it clear he wants traded. So what do we see happening here now that he's been productive and Colorado is actually winning some games right now? 
Well, they've lost two in a row, so I think they're starting to slide, actually. But, yeah, I, I think Duchesne is helping his trade value, probably helping that franchise out because I still think he's going to get moved at some point. He, he looks motivated. Give him credit for that, you know, not coming in and sulking. But that's probably what he needed to do if he did want to get out of Colorado. Uh, his trade value will probably go up a bit, and, and maybe they'll be able to make a move. But, I mean, you know, look at this team, Luke. I just – there's so many holes in this lineup. I, I don't see this. This is – this is a facade. Uh, it, it's an illusion, and it's not going to last. It's already, like I said, starting to collapse here. Yeah, I think of all the teams we've talked about, and maybe even more so than Vegas, the Avalanche, their start is the one you probably should take with the uh, the biggest grain of salt just because, you know, the Kings have proven they can grind out wins in the past, and Chicago's is good, and, and we'll talk about some of the teams that are struggling right now in the second too, but, but, uh, but Vegas – you know, Vegas has won some games. They've looked decent. They've been riding the wave of, of some emotions. There's some unknown there. But with Colorado, this team isn't any different than they were last year, really. So this might just be a, a nice start. And really, as Craig said, it was really just the first week. They've already started losing. Also, apparently tomorrow is Grateful Dead Night with the Avalanche. So that's a thing. Wow, okay. I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the crossover audience is there. come up with that one? I, they literally ran out of ideas. <laughs> they went through every band that... Uh, Okay, well, either way. Uh, wait, 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 what exactly happens on Grateful Dead Night? Let's find I'm out. I'm definitely curious let's about that. Let's find out. So now, now that I click this ad, I'm going to get a million Avalanche ads for the rest of the time. Yeah. But let's Seriously, see. <laughs> first 10,000 fans in the door get a tablet of acid as they walk through, and then you can drop <laughs> and watch the game. That does make the Avalanche watchable. That's a good point. Okay, wow. so uh, there's a special guest performance by a band called Shakedown Street. Okay. So a pregame concert. Every ticket includes... But not a concert from the Grateful Dead. No. Okay. Every ticket includes access to a live performance by Shakedown Street, commemorative ticket stub, oh boy, uh, at the in-game redemption table, and... <laughs> wow. Are they, they're not That's, wearing, like, tie-dye jerseys or anything? That looks about... That looks like it's it. I guess they had a special jersey that they made. Is it, like, every color of the rainbow? Yeah, because it says tickets including the jersey are sold out. So, no, so it, whatever so cool. they're doing is it's it's working, but uh, there's still tickets available if you want the commemorative ticket stub. Oh. Still available! Exclamation point. And, and to be fair, we don't have proof definitive that that's not where Craig Morgan is right now. We just know he's not in the studio, so he could be speeding up the highway to Colorado. Also, if you go to the very bottom of this page, they have the creepiest looking bear mascot thing of all. Th- I, I just, I, I'm sorry, Craig can't be here to witness that. Can you describe, Luke, what the hell that is? Uh, no. Is that a koala? I, I don't know. It looks like a demented, like, World Cup mascot. That's kind of what it looks like. That's the best way I could describe it. You know, I brought Colorado up to say nice things about them. It's what a bear would look like if you were listening to Grateful Dead on acid. Oh, well, maybe that's what they're going for. Use your imagination. Or actual acid. Let's, uh... <laughs> don't do drugs, kids. No, not a proud sponsor of the show. Let's uh, talk about yes. some of the teams that are struggling around the NHL. We'll stay in the West. Uh, as the time we record this, the Coyotes don't have a win yet. Aiden Hill, to me, last night was probably one of the biggest bright spots of the season. Uh, I don't know how much more we'll see him this season. I kind of want to see more of him, to be honest. There are but like three bright spots in the Coyote season Aiden, right now. Aiden Hill is one of them. We agree? Yes. Okay. Hill, Clayton Keller, and yeah. uh, death is inevitable. Hmm. Jamie, Jamie is Mr. Sunshine for today's show, in case you were wondering. Craig, what did you see out of Aiden Hill last night? I saw a really good movement. Uh, I was impressed with him. He, he tracked the puck well. He, he talked about how last year in the AHL there, there was a real focus on tracking better and staying forward in his body, making sure he's set 
throughout his movements to, to make the save more quickly. And I saw that. What really stood out to me, and I, Dave Best was giving me uh, some grief for, for the way I worded this, but Aiden Hill's legs really impressed me last night. Hmm. He made a lot of excellent pad saves. I just, I, I, that, that's, that's one thing that, that sort of jumps out at me about his play last night. Who knows? It's one game. But you guys say you don't know how much time he's going to get up here. The way their goaltending situation is going right now, Antti Ranta did not skate again today. And Louis Domingue is not playing with a heck of a lot of confidence right now. He's giving up a lot of goals. If Aiden Hill can play well for any kind of stretch, he might get a crack at being at least their backup goalie right now. He's he's somebody that you want to talk about small sample size. Like he he was great with the Winterhawks. He's he's been great really at every level. And you know we see him in limited time during uh, training camp and and during rookie camp even and and you know the rookie game. Not this season, but last season, he really stood out. It was it was him, Clayton Keller, and Jacob Chickren were the three guys that really stood out, and, and certainly uh, all three of them have been impressive up to this point. But last night was Aiden Hill's first ever NHL game. Twenty one years old, you never know how a goalie is going to respond. Even if he's going, if he's going to have a great career in front of him, you don't know how he's going to respond on the road against the Dallas team that can put the puck in the net. Dallas scored five minutes into the game, and he really settled down after that. He only gave up one more goal. The the third goal was an empty netter. Uh, this is a very interesting storyline to me because I know they're high on him in terms of maybe being the goalie of the future, but you don't usually expect that future to be when your goalie is 21 or even 22 years old. Yeah, that's so young for a goaltender. So young. And But to Craig's point, you know, Louis Domingue has not seized his opportunities when he's been given them over the last year and a half or so. So there could be a potential opening there for a backup down the line. And right now for the starter. I mean, yeah. until we know when Antti Ranta comes back, Domingue's goals against average is over 4.5. And I understand the team in front of him is in transition and they're learning a new system and everything, so he's being exposed or, or left exposed a little bit. But there's been times in the past where Louis Domingue has stepped in when Mike Smith was here and Domingue was, was, did everything you could ever ask. And he just hasn't been able to do that yet this season. So the door is open. I just don't know how wide it's open. Do you, Craig? I mean, is, is there potential here where no, we could see No, I mean, Hill? it was two years ago that you're talking about with Louis Domingue. He hasn't done it the last couple of seasons. No. And he's in the last year of his contract, guys. So, you know, I don't. I think in a perfect world, they would have expected, would have hoped that Ansi Rance would be healthy and Louis Domingue would be their backup through this season. And they could give guys like Hill and Hunter Miska another year to develop and then even find out what happens with Merrick he graduates from Harvard, but yeah, it's the league. And things change. Things change all the time. I don't know if he's quite ready. One game is certainly not going to tell us that. But they don't have a lot of options right now. If Francis is going to be out a while and been playing well, they probably have to go this route. And and if he can, again, if he can show that he can do it at least in in short spurts, maybe he's the guy that they turn to as their backup behind Ranta when he comes back because. Again, Louis Domingue is just not getting the job done, and he hasn't been for a couple seasons here. If I set the over-under at game started this season for Aiden Hill at 9, are we taking the over or the under? I know there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah, there's a lot of variables there. I mean, when does Ronta come back? That's one of the biggest questions. I don't know. It's impossible to say right now. He's day-to-day, but he's out over a week, and... You know, John Chica said yesterday or two days ago that it was a muscle strain. We don't know anything more than that at this point. And Rick Pocket has even intimated that Ante Ranta may have shown up 
not in optimal shape to play this season. I don't know if that's true or not, but those those things certainly concern you when you hear them. So I, I guess we just wait. We wait and see what happens here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess on the over here just because one of the big questions with Ronta coming into the season is, okay, you're the guy now. How many games can you play? Are you going to break down? Are you going to be able to have success throughout the season? We already are – we've had two different injuries, and we're, what, six games in the season? Yeah. I, there's a very good chance that he only plays half the season. When you say the over is – are we looking at that as a – like a worst-case scenario in the sense that you just didn't have enough Ronta and Domingue couldn't step in, or do you see a positive there that part of that's because Aiden Hill played really well and established himself as the goalie of the future? I think it's going to be mostly because Ronta's going to miss periods of time. Okay. And then in that equation, if Aiden Hill can show that he can consistently be the better goaltender than Louis Domingue has been, which, just to be quite frankly honest, is not that difficult right now, I think he will get more opportunities to start. Now, the thing with the Coyotes, like I said, as we record this, they don't have a win yet. Um, and there's a few different ways to look at it. I mean, four of their losses were essentially one-goal losses, but they've had games where they didn't look like the Boston game, especially in the second period. That was an interesting night because you could hear some of the frustration finally bubbling over for Rick Tockett. And when I say finally, I don't mean you know five games into the season it should be bubbling over. I just think the transition from winning back-to-back Stanley Cups with one team to coaching a very young team that's that's – you know, a lot of these guys are learning on the fly. There's going to be some frustrating moments for the head coach, and we certainly saw that Saturday night after the game with Rick Tockett. Yeah, that's got to be – you make a good point there, too, coming from a Stanley Cup champion to to the team that is sitting at the bottom of the NHL standings right now has to be a pretty dramatic shift for a guy. And, and Rick Tockett's an emotional guy anyway. As, as John Chaika said, he, he wears his heart on his sleeve, and I, I think we saw a little bit of that after the game. Um, he, he's he's expressing frustration at his players' inability to grasp, you know, this system for a full 60 minutes. They can play it in stretches, but then they fall out of it. And I, I think that is part of the evolution pro, evolutionary process. That, you know, they, they they have to learn a brand new system. They're still used to playing under Dave Tippett. All of this was to be expected to a certain degree. I don't think anybody thought they'd be winless at this point. That's that's not how anyone wants to start a season. But they've had had some of those growing pains that you sort of expected to see. And when Rick Tockett talked a couple days after that, that game, he, uh, he sort of walked it back a little bit. Uh, John Chaika, I think, pointed out to him that some of their analytics are looking pretty good compared to last year. I think it was 19 out of 22, John Chaika told me, had improved over last year. Uh, they're spending like a, a minute and a half more in the offensive zone. That means less defending. So those are positive signs, but there's a lot of process still to be played out here. Do we put anything into the or any stock into the idea that four of these six losses have been of the one goal variety? Now, I know if you look, you're going to say, well, two of those are two goal losses. But for the purposes of coaching and evaluating whatever, an empty net goal, you're not you're not really using that to evaluate your team. Craig, you've said this numerous times, and, and Dave Tippett used to say it all the time when he was here. Like you're looking at that as a one goal loss. Four of these six games have been one goal losses. Does that mean they're getting closer, or does that mean they're a young team that doesn't know how to finish a game yet? It's probably a combination of both. I mean, they, you've seen examples of both of those things where they've had leads and they've lost leads, or they just couldn't find a way to get back in the game last night, for instance. I just, I, you're seeing so many different reasons why they lose, and that's part of the tough process of a young team and a team finding a new system as well, where they're, you know, it's going to be different guys that, that make mistakes that cost you on a given night. Two of these games we're talking about, 
are games where if Louis Domingue had made a couple more saves, they might have had a chance in those games. But then in other games, they're not they're not capitalizing on their scoring chances. You're seeing you know bad structure in the defensive zone, like you did last night on a couple of those goals. It's it's just a number of different breakdowns. So uh, again, it's 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 part of the growth process, and it's going to be frustrating because it's almost like a, a you know a dam that just starts springing leaks. You put a finger in one, and then another one pops open. Yeah, and I, I try not. We talk a lot about one goal wins and one goal losses, whether it's for good teams or bad teams, sustainability. But I think sometimes losing by one goal does doesn't. I feel like sometimes that's used as a, oh well they're close versus oh well they weren't good enough to win that game. And and I think sometimes in this case, I didn't feel most of these games that the Coyotes have been playing that they were the better team on the ice. Yeah, what the Detroit one? They they outplayed Detroit. Yeah, that was and. I guess to I mean I guess Anaheim is the other one really the the opening night when they were up four to one that's a game you need to win I know that they were beating Vegas in the first meeting until the final minute and a half of the game but, but Vegas they weren't the better them. yeah they weren't the better team in that for, in that home now over. Vegas wasn't dominant I mean a lot of times you aren't the better team and you win and the Coyotes just haven't had that benefit yet but they're I can point to two nights where it felt like they were the better team that night and don't have a win so I just it's it's going to be something to keep an eye on if you can get stability in net. Because you know, it's like Craig's saying, every night it feels like something different is, is the reason why they lose. Either they're not getting enough offense or the defense is melting down or the goaltending is letting in goals that, that shouldn't happen. If Aiden Hill or whoever can step in and stabilize things in net, then the wins will start to come. But you have to start there. Because now you can't go out there and score four goals and give up five. I mean, that, it, that just sort of feels like the pattern they're on right now, except at the moment they're not getting even the four goals. Uh, I think people expected the Coyotes would start out of the gate slow. But what's kind of weird when you look around the league, like let's just say the Coyotes had won last night. Here's the teams they would have jumped in the standings. Edmonton, who we already touched on, the Rangers and Montreal. Not teams that people expected to be at the very bottom of the standings, but both New York and Montreal, in addition to Edmonton, still only have one win. Montreal's blue line is so bad. <laughs> I just... That's, that that doesn't surprise me as much as the Rangers. As much as I think the Rangers have, have been living in this self-made fantasy for a long time, of believing that they're a cup contender and they're not, I still thought the Rangers were you know one of those teams that's going to make the playoffs. So their struggle surprised me a lot more than Montreal's. Well, we know Jamie loves the Canadians and, and all that they're able to. Uh, <laughs> they usually start out of the gate quickly. Yeah, usually you see them just have this offensive outburst right away and every, everything's great. And we think, oh, is this going to be the year? Are they going to score a ton of goals for Carey Price? And then this year they decided to just get to midseason form already and start scoring one goal a game. <laughs> yeah, even with Carey Price, there's really only so much you can do. By the way, goals against or goals for rather around the league is it's still up there. I mean, it's, it's still over three. I'm just going to monitor this every week. It's at 3.08 goals per game. And as a reference point, last year it was 2.77, which is... That's a considerable jump. Also, I should throw this news out there, or maybe you already know by the time you heard this, but Tuka Rask hurt at practice today for the Bruins. So we're talking about the value of having Malcolm Subban a little bit earlier in the show. This uh, is probably a situation where the Bruins wouldn't mind having him as, uh, as the backup, although Anton Hudobin's been, uh, he's been fine for them so far. Uh, Steve Mason is off to a tremendous start for the Winnipeg Jets. I can't believe this didn't work. <laughs> I can't believe it. Who didn't know that Steve Mason wasn't the answer for the Winnipeg Jets? Who knew? Who could have known? Uh, Who could have known? Apparently not the Jets. Goals against average right there in that comfortable range of 5.98 per game. 
Uh, is that bad? The silver lining for the Jets is Connor Hellebuck, who's been their top goaltending prospect for a while, and a couple years ago looked really good, uh, but then struggled to, to produce over the course of a full 82-game season. He has been good. In four games, he's 3-0 and with a 2.11 goals against average. Steve Mason in three games is 0-3. So just goes back to what we said in the offseason. If you're the Jets and you have all this talent, why don't you just make the necessary move to get a goalie and all of a sudden you should be in a better spot? Maybe they luck out and Hellebuck just ends up being that guy. But uh, Steve Mason is off to a Steve Mason-like start to the season. Yeah, that's what it feels like is happening here, is that Connor Hellebuck is going to be their starter and they're just going to have a really expensive backup who they never want to play. Uh, I don't know how they managed that. It was, it was a poor move. What do the, the goals against averages look like in your beer league, Luke? Uh, they're not even that high. I mean, I, I would say most goalies keep it right around five or below. I mean, mo- what most adult league hockey games are about five four or five three, maybe. But uh, you don't you don't typically see. I'm sure there you is. Like calling it beer league. Uh, there's like nine different. Yeah, we can call it beer league if you want. I don't I don't drink beer before a game though. That's a horrible Luke idea. Luke looks very offended right now. <laughs> he looks very. I offended. always look offended when we do this show. How dare you? Uh, how about the Calder race? The guys we talked about to start the season. Of, yeah, they're not in it. <laughs> but, the, but It's all guys that we didn't talk about. It's not because, the. I mean, the main guys we talked about were Charlie McAvoy, uh, Clayton Keller, and Nico Heeshear. And they've all been fine. But <laughs> yeah. it, it is Will Butcher and Jesper Bratt and Jake DeBrusque and Martin Furk and Sonny Milano and Jacob Verana. Like all these guys that we really, we said that it's going to be wide open this year. It wouldn't shock me if one right. of these guys wins. No, not at all. That's, that's, it's great, actually, in a way that all these guys have jumped in because we thought we had it pegged. We thought we had the name. You know, you could you go down a list of, like, ten names, and you thought, okay, it's, it's going to be with these guys. And, and now you've got brand-new guys in the race. It's going to be one of the best call to races I think we've seen in a really long time. Yeah, there are, there are about 14 rookies right now that are at, over, or within one point of being a point-per-game player through the first part of the season, and two New Jersey Devils leading the, <laughs> leading the points parade at the top. But... It's it's exciting because we've kind of we knew the last two years what we were looking at in terms of rookie of the year for the most part. Uh, you know, I guess you know Artemi Panarin was was maybe a little bit of a surprise when thinking about what he was doing in the preseason the year that year. But I'm excited. I, I like seeing all of the this mix of first year guys, guys that have been first year guys are like coming out of the draft. I mean, and then guys that have been seasoned a little bit more. This is kind of exciting. I don't know who the favorite would be right now, but I also don't see any obvious choice that's, you know, that's, that's been putting up a point per game right now that you say, no, they won't be in the race at the very end. So if I, if I said you can have the three guys that we and most people talked about heading into the season, you can have Heashier and Keller and McAvoy, or you can have the field. You would take the field at this point? I think I'd still probably take those three guys. I think I might take the field at this point. Really? Okay. I, do, I, I do think McAvoy, though, could couldn't push through, but I think I'm going to take the field. Craig? Yeah, I, I, I think I take the field at this point, too. I just, so you know, when you look at When you look at Boston and Arizona, a lot of uh, a rookie's success is going to be tied to his team's success, and, and the Coyotes are obviously off to a, a poor start, and I'm not sure if Boston is anything more than a mediocre team. Now, that might mean more opportunity for these guys, but it still matters who you're surrounded with and how much attention you're facing because of, you know, the guys around you and, and, and what, what teams see in you. So maybe it's, maybe it is time to look at the rest of the field and think that somebody else might break through here. 
it's also to me when you when you see all these guys doing what they're doing, and again, it's not going to last. We're not going to have all these point per game rookies, but it's just further indication of where the league is going. It just keeps getting younger and faster, and because it has to get cheaper because of the salary cap just continuing to flatline. So you get more and more opportunities for guys like this. And, and I guess when you have a, a larger body of players, you're going to have more guys who can excel. Yeah, I mean, it's worth pointing out that not only are these guys all extremely young, but they're also scoring goals and, and putting points past the opposing goalie because they're also facing younger, more inexperienced players. So it is kind of feeding into itself. But I would just point out, Will Butcher, as we said, leads the rookie scoring race right now with nine points. And Jesper Bratt is right there with six. But even like Keller has four, McAvoy has four, and he sure all have four. So it's it's not like those guys have been bad. It is just that everybody else has been really good. Like Mikhail Sergachev has been good. He's played some decent minutes already for Tampa Bay, too. All right. Do we have uh, any other teams we want to touch on here? Craig, I'll, I'll defer to you. I, I feel like we've gotten through most of the rundown for this show. I think we've covered it. Okay. That's Craig's way of saying he wants to leave us now. So... Uh, that's my way of saying I'm, I'm about to pick up my girls from school and, and people don't want to know that but now they know that yeah now 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 the world knows that the hockey community knows all right that's gonna do it for us then for craig morgan and jamie eisner i'm luke lipinski thanks for listening to the natural hat trick podcast